The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The views and opinions expressed therein are solely those of the speakers. Additionally, this podcast may include swearing, discussions of sexual content and assault, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. And in much lighter news, let's see what our good old buddy Iyer has to say. Point of intersection found. This is a degree five, featuring multiple crew from The Phantom Menace. Revenge of the Sith, the sequel trilogy, Rogue One, Solo, The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Andor, and Ahsoka. For further detail, check out inichretelling.tumblr.com slash siblingblogs. That is a lot more Star Wars connections than I would have expected from this movie. I almost wish it was just the prequels, because then I could make a pithy joke about how, oh boy, does that make sense considering the quality of this film. But we'll talk more about that later. Enjoy! (laughs) The youngest girl, however, displayed greater perseverance and firmness in their common misfortune. She bore her lot cheerfully, with a strength of mind much beyond her years. Not but what, at first, she was truly melancholy, alas. Who would not have felt such misfortunes? But after deploring her father's ruin, she could do better than resume her former gaiety, make up her mind to the position she was placed in, and forget a world which she and her family had found so ungrateful, and the friendship of which she was so fully persuaded was not to be relied upon in the time of adversity. Every intelligent person who saw her in her true light was eager to give her the preference over her sisters. In the midst of her greatest splendor, although distinguished by her merit, she was so handsome that she was called the beauty. <sighs> Welcome to Neat Retelling, the podcast where we explore all the ways old tales are made new. I'm your host, Jasmine Garcia, and joining me today are... Je m'appelle Sam Marcioni, je suis dans les mails avec les chiots I'm River Lane and Sally Forth, Tally Ho, let's kill the beast. <laughs> I'm Alana Greenberg suit and I do not speak French. Je suis Kyle Cogren et je parle français comme un idiot. I am Brian Harris, and the only French phrase that I know is Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? C'est soir. Oh Wait, I just realized that's a song by a singer named LaBelle. That is true. Oh my god. It's How? all connected, man. It's, everything con- is connected. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are finally finishing the La Bella La Bette's double feature that we started back during the strike before we found out, oh, wait, no, this might not actually be strike-proof. Great. And now we have finally managed to get this done months later. And I just have one question for you, Kyle. Was it worth sparing Mickey? No. <laughs> well, the thing is... The thing is Mickey is like Santa. He has a lot of little helpers, like, you know, out doing his work for him. You have to kill the head Mickey, or else, you know. (laughs) And that, unfortunately, is now impossible because the head Mickey, the Ur Mickey, Steamboat Willie Mickey, is now public domain and therefore is part of the great cultural commons and therefore inextricable 
from culture at large. He's in the firmament with Hamlet, Sherlock Holmes, and God. So what you're saying is, Mickey has firmly supplanted himself as the eldritch abomination we always knew he was going to grow up to be. Yes. It is Mickey's <laughs> world. We're living in it. We all must still, even now, even more now that he's public domain, we must bow to Michael the Whistling Shrew. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know dear listeners kyle did almost kill mickey because of the disney beauty and the beast remake before finding out that this movie existed (laughs) so in that video i did years ago with tony goldmark yeah it ended with me just doing a parody of kill the beast but kill the mouse it was originally going to be a whole mob like in the movie it was originally (laughs) going to be a bunch of people like with signs and pitchforks on their way to kill mickey mouse like in the film but then we got in trouble with disney cops disney park cops because they realized we were filming something in Disneyland and this is like a year after Escape from Tomorrow came out and they just they wanted to make sure we weren't filming Escape from Tomorrow too. <laughs> they were very nice about it but still we, yeah, we don't put that it, out into the universe, though, Kyle. Oh, my God. We paired it back from a whole mob going to <laughs> kill Mickey to just having me being a lone gunman. Yeah, um, yeah. And I w- remember, like, we were pitching this idea to the other people who were helping us film, because, like, Tony has this whole crew of, like, um, people helping us film, Charlie and Haley Callahan in particular. I just said I was a lone gunman. I'm Lee Harvey Oswald. I want to say Charlie said Lee Harvey Oswald the lucky rabbit. <laughs> 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 Oh, so is that where the joke that's where the, That's where Tony got the joke. Like, he's going Oswald. He's going full Oswald. Lee Harvey <laughs> or the Lucky Rabbit. Both. <laughs> that was but a fun shoot. That it was a sounds fun like shoot. it was. My God. But, unfortunately, this here movie... I'm just, Spoiler alert, folks. We, I was not a fan. This movie sucked! I, I've done a video on this movie. I'm not very yeah. proud of it. It's one of those things where I was more trying to copy other people than find my own voice. And there are some things I regret about that, but it's part of learning to be an artist. And I do stand by some of the stuff I said in there regarding the, the 2014 one. I My feelings on the 2017 Beauty and the Beast are now much more complicated, but it's still a better love story than this one. I guess I will also say that this movie is better than what Once Upon a Time did with Beauty and the Beast. Oh, that's debatable. I can see the argument, though. I can Um, see the argument, but I gotta think about it first. Yeah. I'm gonna go walk into a lake. (laughs) Yeah, that's valid, too. I mean, I'll say that I literally just finished watching the film before sitting down to record, so I haven't had as much time to process it as I might like, but I think I have enough to say. It's a movie, all right. <laughs> the best time the puppy monkeys live in your brain, the better. Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. No, you, you know, there are times when it's really good to not have an inner eye because it means that I don't have to ever see them again if I don't want to. This was meant to be a remake of the 1946 version, but River and I have decided this is basically kind of the unholy abomination of the 46 and kind of the Disney one. It wanted its cake and it and to eat it too, and it succeeded in doing none of the above. There are like four plots in this movie. None of them matter. The Perdicos gang, I said this in my video, they wandered in from a stray Victor Hugo novel <laughs> seriously straight or, or like the cockney musical filming on the on the <laughs> stage next door right down to the fact that honestly i think perdicost kind of looks like sasha baron cohen you put that into my 
my brain last night and I wanted to walk into the lake. The bare amount of good I can give this movie is I really liked the beagles. Like, when the beagles are being beagles, I really <laughs> like having a pack of hound dogs around. Okay, I was about to you fight like you. You like footage of dogs. Correct! Dogs and are inherently cinematic. This is true. Correct! But that is the nicest I can be about this movie, because everything else varies from WTF to actively angry. And I will say the thing I told Jazz last night, which is to say that this movie's backgrounds occasionally look like they have been scraped for AI. Um, And a lot of those like early- Like, remember when AI was first starting to, like, pop up into the public conscious and it was a lot of these, like, yeah. flowery... The set dressing looks like that, but intentionally. And I oh, hate no. it. I mean, this guy did make the Silent Hill movie, so, like, the Beast's Castle is very video game territory. Yeah, it's... I can see that style being used for, for Silent Hill, that's wild. But, I mean, I will actually say I like some of the set and background. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the few nice things I have um, to say about it. One of the things in Beauty and the Beast that varies depending on the retelling is whether the castle is in disrepair or not. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I found kind of nifty just because it was different was the way the roses had all grown throughout the castle. Mm-hmm. And, like, the castle is weird because a lot of times when people don't think, it's a series of disconnected rooms and spaces. You don't really get a feel for how they connect to each other. But, you know, the fact that, like, it's mostly in good repair, kind of, but you've got the roses woven through everything. It kind of makes me think of, I rewatched Crimson Peak recently. And for those of you who are not familiar, they lean really hard on the gothic horror trope of a corrupted physical house that's like falling down and moldy and shit is indicative that the family that lives there has some kind of corruption. Very common visual trick with that genre both originally and pastiche which is definitely what Crimson Peak is but it was interesting kind of as a, as a contrast because here the corruption isn't really corruption but so you still have the roses running through the castle which I thought was interesting. But I have to agree I did really enjoy like the aesthetic of the castle I thought it was like really creepy and gothic. I'll have to give my props to the production design. All the technical elements I think really worked for me. Yeah, no, I was except the costume say- people. I want to kill the costume people, but I regularly oh. want to kill the costume people, so that's fine. Those costumes um, were the definition of she breasted boobily. <laughs> no. Oh, Do God. not invoke the costume gods. Sam will go on a 12-minute rant, and I say this with affection, Sam. Do not invoke the costume gods. Trying to pin it down historically is kind of pointless because it's all over the place, and, like, their costumes roughly the same in both when Belle's story takes place and when we're seeing how the beast became the beast, they're wearing basically very similar mishmash of styles. So it's like time, take time, yeah. t- historical yeah. whatever out of it. It is a fairy and it's tale, more so like, I can forgive that. Yeah. Vague silhouettes would say that they're in the late 1790s, early 1800s for Belle's story, but then it's full fantastical Tudor Renaissance bullshit in the Beast's time, and I swear to God, he's just putting Belle in his wife's old clothes. I'm pretty sure he was, actually. Yeah, that's that's the implication, y'all. Yeah. But there's, um, there's a lot what? to go with the Beast's former wife and her and her that Sam even brought up in their video that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, this is a terrible adaptation of Jane Eyre. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will say, I did realize um, we all kind of gave our initial snarks about it. You didn't really get the chance mm-hmm. to give your initial thoughts on the movie before we like delved deeper into it. So, um, I thought it was decent. <laughs> like it, like. Oh no! This is gonna be the Hitchhiker's episode all over again. <laughs> no, no, no! I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I grew up with that, and it was a whole. This, I'm just like. I was expecting to dislike because of everything you guys have told me or said on the Discord server, and I was just watching it, and I was like, oh, this is pretty this is decent, you know? Once we get past the puppy monkey babies. As far as, like, a, you know, remake of the Cocteau version, I've never seen this before. This is my first time viewing this 2014 version. Everything else was kind of working, you know, telling a cohesive story, you know, that's slightly different from the Cocteau version, but, you know. And I like the Cocteau version, so this is kind of like a modern update of that. Or at least that's what they were trying to do, for sure. I think they succeeded, for the most part. Fair enough. I would also argue that I've certainly seen worse when it comes to, like, plot coherency. Occasionally they'll just throw something weird at you and it's like, okay, there are monkeys with beagle ears running around. (laughs) Cool. Or like the statue head coming out of the rose sculpture thing. Chekhov's healing water? The water they actually set up properly. Well, that's why Chekhov's Um, healing water. To me, that did not feel like it. Like, the first time she uses it, I'm kind of like, okay, that's new. But the Beast's castle not only being magical itself and containing the Beast, but having magical objects in it is pretty common for this, like, story type. And so the idea that he's got, you know, a different set of magical objects than either the Cocteau or Disney or a whole bunch of others didn't really bother me it was like okay yeah so there's a magic thing and then she uses it and then he gives her the water and i'm like okay so that's gonna get used and then it did and then you know you got an easy solution to the whole beast is dying problem and so that one that one didn't bother me but like they were definitely like okay so wait what what is going on with this bartender and like you know why why are her sisters that bartender is just a helpful NPC who's trying to stop a tavern brawl you basically and then with a blunderbuss i was thinking of john wick like the continental like no continental ground the first 15 minutes of this movie did not need to be here but uh, the framing device no not the framing device but the framing device the framing device is whatever. It's fine. It's a good excuse to have narration. No, I'm more talking about post-framing device, but all of the stuff with, like, moving out of the old house and into the new oh, house okay. and figuring out that the boat is still there, but, like, he can't have it back because he signed the way the rights at some point. Yada, yada, yada. That was shenaniganery and bullshit, and I didn't need it. <laughs> I mean, that I is thought... how we have to set up the Perdicaz gang so we can have our discount kill the yeah. beast mob. 30 minute end. climax. <laughs> I do like some of what Leia Sadu was given as Belle and like giving her this little weird mm. thing of like, it's my fault our mother died in childbirth and I'm sad that I'll never know my mom and I don't want to take my father away from my siblings as well. So I'm going to do the noble sacrifice thing. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting take to have on Belle. And um, she's so bitchy to the beast it's amazing i do love that and i also i do like that okay the sisters don't really have separate personalities Anne and clotilde 
people do not. But I like that the brothers have separate personalities because the brothers are so often a non-entity. But Tristan is the poetic one who's a little bit silly, and Jean Baptiste is the baby who is trying to do the right thing and be the best brother. And then Maxime is the one who's on loan from Victor Hugo. <laughs> Let's circling back. I really feel like Leia Seydoux was probably the best part of this movie. Oh, by a country mile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Shame about Vincent Cassell. The only thing I could say nice about Vincent Cassell is I'm glad they didn't make him shave his chest hair. Uh, (laughs) But that, that's it. That is valid. That's it. That's the nicest thing I could say about him. Wow. Jean Marais, he is not. No. Well, I'm sitting here going, like, what, are. what are, the, how old are any of these characters supposed to be? And I'm not including, like, Lost Time as the Beast. That doesn't count. You know, that's magic. Like... Well, the Disney Beast is 21. Bella's... There's no way that Vincent Cassell is, is supposed to be 21. Just yeah. like there's no way that... Belle is usually is a late teen, be... early 20. Yeah. Yeah. Except she's clearly not. And the sisters act like they're friggin' five. <laughs> and why are none of them married? The whole past the kids, they're all adults. Why are none of them, none of them married? It's well, The sisters aren't married because they have terrible personalities. The kid yeah. sisters you know? are implied to be actively looking. Yeah, yeah that is true. You know, I'm really glad we're talking about the family because one of my biggest issues with this movie is that they made the family so likable and when the Beast is very much not likable it makes it all the harder to believe that Belle would go back to him. And it's not like he really had an arc to get better at all. So it's just like, why would you not just let this piece of shit die? (laughs) It's really weird, like, I really got the feeling that they took the Beauty and the Beast story and then they took out the whole middle section where the Beast, you know, learns to be a likable person and then Belle falls in love with that person. They took that out and then they shoved in the stuff about the dead wife and... So my theory is that those golden fireflies that keep showing Belle the memories of the past, they're like incepting the wife into Belle. Oh god. Taking over her body. I mean, it would explain the zero to infatuation. Especially the zero to in- considering so that she's like flirting with him after that thing where she falls in the ice and he ran after her in the marshmallow coat. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I did appreciate that he took the time to put a coat on before chasing after <laughs> Yeah. He's like, oh, he's right, getting away, but it's cold outside. I bet he, I bet he you have fur! I want to see this horror movie where the house just takes this poor person and warps them into the into uh-huh. the likeness of the dead figure that walked. It's, I... it's like almost Hitchcockian, almost. Yeah. And by Hitchcockian, I mean sexist and terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say this is also a terrible myth of Acteon adaptation because this is like it's if instead of turning Acteon into the deer and having his hounds kill him, Artemis instead married him <laughs> and then turned herself into a deer and then let herself get nearly killed and then asked Zeus to fuck him up and I hate it. I hate everything about it. I mean, that's she's the like worst, also that's the worst part. She just asked Zeus to fuck him up. She begged him not. Yeah, she's like pleading to the skies like, "Oh, save my love." And I'm like, "Bitch, the dick could not have been that good." <laughs> also, <It's> question like- <laughs> This movie was so horny. (laughs) Speaking of that, oh my god. I I know these children are French. 
But is Belle including the piece of the story where their dad's well, dead at wife was naked when he shot her? And the part where he shows up in her room? I assumed that she was reading the version of the story that she told her brother, that the brother then wrote into a storybook. I think I pulled it out of my ass. And was also wondering if, like, maybe this story didn't actually happen to Belle and the Beast. This is just kind of like what we were talking about in The Princess Bride. This is just the children picturing their parents in the story. I I Um, don't know. For me, I want to interpret it as, yes, it happened, because I want to believe that the Beast, you know, had this arc where he went from asshole to... Loving husband and father. Yeah, and I, I don't like, you know, oh, it was all a dream sort of endings, of course, so... Very few people do. <laughs> I want to believe that it actually happened. Although you could make the argument easily that it was just sort of Leia Sedu telling the story to her children and none of it really happened. And that it was just sort of made up. Although, what's, you know, it's interesting and mm-hmm. I didn't really catch this until now, but when she's telling the story to her children, she didn't say, I went to the castle or my father did this. She said, you know, this is the story of Belle and mm-hmm. the merchant and the beast and the prince and, mm-hmm. you know, her brothers and sisters, etc., etc. Yeah, that's another argument you can use to interpret the ending as being it was all fictional. Like, she tells the story in, like, third person, right? Yep, she does. You could definitely see it as just her... The kids aren't old enough to know that this is how Papa and I met. But you could also interpret this as this is just what was going on inside the kids' heads as they heard the story. Because, you know, when kids come from a loving home, that is something that does happen, I think, with... When they hear these stories, they think of mommy and daddy. Yeah, that's true. I did like, this is the first version of Beauty and the Beast that I've seen that had flashbacks to Beast as a human before he was cursed. I mean, in the Disney version, you have like the glass windows, but that's, that's literally all you get. This one actually goes into like who he was before he was cursed. And I, it was something that I had never seen before. So I appreciated it. See, I would agree with you. I do agree. I like the basic idea here. Yeah, he. this is how he fucked up, basically. The and execution. It is tragic. It's just a shame that he has not seemed to have learned from it at all. Because here's basically. the thing, the whole idea that they start liking each other more when he stops being an asshole, that's a relatively new idea for Beauty and the Beast stories. Like like the 46 version, he's not an asshole at all. He's just kind of a sad sack. Yeah, and, but being, he still has more respect for boundaries. And for years would make one. Yeah. Yes, and he's exactly. He's believably sad, yeah. He, he immediately respects Belle in that version. In this one, he's just an asshole to her and never really, really stops. And that is my he biggest problem. He snuck into her bedroom and was hovering over her by like five yeah. inches. Yeah, yeah. I like you watching have- you sleep, Bella. We are never going to escape the Twilight joke in this. I asked, well, how is the Silent Hill guy making a Twilightier movie than the Twilight guy? Hello, going back to the flashbacks to Vincent Cassell as a human, I'm going to be cynical. I think that's just a way to get Vincent Cassell, the actor, on screen. Correct. Yeah, uh, I was yeah, pretty sure, Because, too, yeah. like, when telling the story of Beauty and the Beast visually, there's always that moment. There's always the moment where the Beast turns back into a human, and you, as the figure, have to go, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you spend all your time, you know, falling in love with the hairy boy, and you're learning to <laughs> see the man inside the Beast, and then all the hair falls away, and then who the fuck is this Chad meme? 
So, <laughs> and what I love about the Cocteau movie is that Jean Marais, the actor who plays the Beast, has a dual role as the Beast and Avenant, a human suitor who later fills in the Gaston role in the Disney version. So you actually see Jean Marais play, like, the inferior human version of what the Beast could be. The actual, like, you know, beastly man. It is also a way to get the audience used to the idea of what Jean Marais looks like without yeah. all the Beast makeup. And so yeah. you can actually have him, like, show up on screen as the prince unbeasted and just have him, you know, oh, that's the man we fell in love with. We know that face. In the animation, it's less of a problem because with the voice actor, he's there the whole time. But even in the Disney version, there's a moment where he has to, like, look into his eyes and go, it hits you. And here, it just seems like they wanted to get Vincent Cassell as a human because Vincent Cassell is one of France's biggest leading men. You gotta get that face on screen. You gotta gotta get that tribal face on screen. Kyle, as the self-proclaimed Dilf lover and having terrible taste in men... Somehow, Vincent Cassell does not do it for me, which means that I buy jack shit of this. There was this really, this really good, like, promotional photo shoot that had super horny energy of the two of them, and all I have to say to that is, it's a trap! Yes, there was this photo shoot, I showed it in the chat, and I was just like, you know what, I would almost respect this movie more if it had this energy, and Sam and I were talking about it, and people were commenting, it's like, I've never seen this movie, but now I kind of want to. No, no, you're not gonna get any of this energy from this movie, fellow monster fuckers, run! (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing, is that, like, there are ways to do the Beauty of the Beast story where it doesn't end in monster fucking or wanting to be a little bit of a monster fucker, but I would also argue that, uh... Why would you tell the story if you didn't want to tell a story about monster fucking? Exactly! Like, there are ways to do it, and I think this movie by making the Beast... The Beast is basically a lion in this one. He is... He is a lion furry suit. Mm -hmm. Like, that is what he is. With the 40 movie, you excused it because you're like, okay, makeup's not great, we don't have a lot of material, we're in post-war France, we're working with what we got. Keeps on Marais from fainting due to heat stroke. Yeah. In this, you have to imagine he's probably in a mocap suit with, like, a couple of, like, yeah. key things for lighting. You could have done whatever the fuck you wanted, and you just made him a really big cat again? They were trying to, to reference the, the Cocteau version, which was the, which looked like a big kitty. Also, that's my thinking. It is difficult to design a monster that is both genuinely monstrous and also fuckable. <laughs> I cannot express to you, Kyle, how much the internet does not have a problem with that! Yeah, I'm gonna, the internet I'm gonna does not appreciate say, how much thought goes into good graphic design. Huh? That is true, but I will agree with River that I would not have thought that anything on the internet would surprise you, but you haven't been to some of the stranger corners, I think. Okay, Everyone I just went is so to... creative. Yeah, <laughs> it's also just, it's basic quote unquote royal symbolism, great chain of being. Yeah. The lion is king of beasts as yeah. kings are king of men, etc. His design didn't bother me. I actually really liked it. Yeah, sorry. I do like that he has a tail. I don't remember if the 40 version had a tail, but I do like that he has a tail. And I also do kind of like the wire work they did with some of his movements and him jumping off of things. Oh my god, every that time he jumps off of stuff, I'm like, though. just seeing that Batman. <laughs> just seeing that Batman. Every time he jumped and, like, the cape did that big, huge, ridiculous, squishy thing, and I'm like, Batman called, he wants his cape back. Please do not maybe go into a whole tangent about the French silent serial Les Vampires and how much that influenced Pulp Fiction and Batman in particular. The French are doing Batman before Batman. That is true. That is a very good point. Je suis l'homme de bat. (laughs) 
Tu es le dungeon, je suis la nuit. Sam, you mentioned in your video how like his expression was just not there, and I do agree with that. And it, it's not a very good. I get that it's hard to do that, but honestly, it would not surprise me if they actually had filmed Vincent with like a proto dummy lion head and then tried to digitally animate it in post because it's just not a very expressive. Like how Josh Roland yeah, was wearing it's... the Thanos head, like during. The... Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's actually and, like, wild to me how much more expressive the Beast was able to be in the 46 compared yeah. to this. But yeah. His eyebrows don't move. His mouth only moves for him to talk. Uh, Cocteau had the right idea with making the eyes the most prevalent part of that suit. And I don't yeah. think that this version did that. They didn't even give him human eyes. No. That's like, he true. has the big cat eyes. Part, part of the whole thing. Like, even the Disney version, like, emphasized that. To, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, to let I you know, know that this think... is the same person. Yeah. I don't even think that it necessarily is an issue of how human or not his eyes are. I think it's the fact that, as River said, the costume was built so that he could emote. Mm-hmm. And that can be a problem when, when you're doing costume contacts or you're doing CGI because your pupils don't dilate properly. But it's weird that even if they had just done more practical effects on the orbit around the eye, I'm gonna say this and y'all are gonna scream at me and I'm gonna scream at myself, but <laughs> they should have gone with some of the cat's vibe in his makeup for his face. Because if he's gonna be a cat anyway, at least make it so that his face can actually, like, move? See- we will hold to that, Alana. Oh, God, you don't be, know you're welcome. Things should have more welcome. of a cat's vibe, Alana. <laughs> makeup. Makeup. Yes. This movie's makeup should have had more of a cat's vibe. Be, you know, give me context to be embarrassed by. It, need, it did need better digital for technology. That's true. <laughs> Do you think underneath that costume they CGI erased Vincent Cassell's butthole? <laughs> I mean, in this one, he's at least allowed to wear pants. Yeah. That is true. He's Ilana, got pants you're never living this down. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Hey, when I said it, I thought of it. I took a serious moment to like, consider, do I actually want to say this? <laughs> and then I made the choice to say it because I figured everyone else got, should have to enjoy slash suffer. The most disconcerting thing for me is a lot of the times either the CGI would be good and the green screen would be terrible or the green screen would be okay but the CGI would be terrible and it never gelled in a way that wasn't making me look at the seams yeah oh yeah like that first climb up the tree to figure out how big the space is that green screen was a (laughs) that green screen was atrocious and I could see the seams and the lighting was wrong yeah I'm with Sam on the how did she go climbing that giant tree and running around in the woods and collapsing on the bed like a drama llama in a corset and stays and and full petticoats i was gonna say Um, there's a full hoop skirt under there eh yeah 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 Yeah, in france they are trained from birth to fall in a corset (laughs) you have to you have to be able to faint dramatic yeah it's all those dramatic fainting couches it's literally required (laughs) but but no like i'm looking at those and i'm going okay that's it's i think on a pure like very technical technicality it's not a hoop skirt for reasons i don't care farthingale it's a farthingale which means that it's a little less 
stiff and you would actually be able to lay back and press the skirt down, which in a hoop skirt you would not be able to do, which like does not matter at all because the corset's more important. Because like she flails around and I'm like, I have no problem with the idea of putting an actor in a costume that is more comfortable than the item should be. Sure. I have no problem with, especially when people are doing action stuff, I have zero problem with that. But it's like when she comes back to the bedroom after dinner the first time and she's wearing that white dress with all the weird frilly floofy things and throws herself on the bed i'm like how how are you doing there that will- you, you you may have shattered a stay or two with that move yeah um, no you're dead but, but sorry anyway. you did not survive this roll yeah. credits yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were so lucky uh but mm. no that's terrible that's mean again she is easily the best part of the movie very compelling performance Yes. And in spite of the fact that you are kind of right, Sam, and that these are very, like, somehow they made the period dress very sexualized anyway, she did look very lovely doing all of Unfortunately, I am also a woman lover, and uh, Leah Sadu is not not hot. As a feminist, (laughs) I am horrified. As a sapphic, I am delighted. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, okay, I think this this fits into, dovetails into the weird way that this movie would just have like wild horny moments yeah then again do not match that that (laughs) photo shoot at all completely different vibe but like when he reaches into the water and grabs her by the front of the freaking corset to pull and i'm going like no i mean what i'm actually really mad about that scene on the ice because here's the thing at least you can argue the beast in the disney version wasn't directly responsible for her near death experience i would also argue that he knew the ice was cracking right he could have moved her that was not the time to kiss he does jump on top of her. That, that's true. But, like, I just... But are you saying the ice was a psyop? Like, yes! a false flag? Apparently we are, I think. <laughs> it is clear that the beast... Do we actually get a name for him? No. Nope. Bet. Which is hilarious, considering how much we see him as a Jean Labette. But... <laughs> I just um, call him Vincent Beast. Yeah. Hey, but, um, beast. It's, it's clear <laughs> that he doesn't use his brain. Not when he was human before, not as the beast, not after. I think that assumes he has a brain cell. One job. Yeah, I don't think he has a brain cell. Yeah, one job. Not not drown the girl that you're... I assume that he was... When she showed back up after, instead of her father, he was like, ooh, possible way to end the curse. But he didn't have a Called her my love by D2. Is weird. And acting immediately entitled to her. Yeah. Well, romance. Like, all, everything that we talked about, I can forgive all of that. If there was a love story at the center of this, I could believe Yes! Because at the end of the day, that is the raison d'etre of Beauty and the Beast. Like, you gotta believe that she could love this man, and I don't for a second. Zero to infatuation like that. You said they had chemistry in interviews, and so clearly it's, it's director's fault for not weird. finding that chemistry and putting it on film. It was the director's fault, and it's also the scriptwriter's fault. There are films where, like, like real-world couples have played mm-hmm. against each other, and the chemistry's been, like, non-existent, and you're sitting there going, but you're married, and you clearly have chemistry, you know, outside of this, so what the hell happened? My personal theory 
on this one, it ties into River saying uh, scriptwriter, not just director, is that because they crammed in all that other stuff, they mm-hmm. stripped out almost all of the two of them, like, getting to know each other, falling in love thing. And the problem is that, you know, the film was made in 2014. Like, we have expected more of our stories for a long time, because there are a lot of old fairy tales that, like, a lot of the first written down versions of a lot of Western fairy tales skip the whole falling in love part and they just you know love at first sight or it just happens when it needs to happen to be true love's kiss or whatever the hell it is you need and then in the last couple hundred years we like people to have more motivation and agency maybe not necessarily women as much that depends but like too real man (laughs) in the cocteau there's a little bit of the beast kind of mellowing out a tiny bit if I recall and Belle kind of being like okay this you know it's a fixer upper plus he's not as much of a jerk and I'd even argue he's not as he's just a sad boy yeah Yeah, right and once he stops being a sad boy it's like oh this is someone I could actually like like maybe and so you're like okay cool fine and then in the Disney which yay we can talk about now because it really is important like culturally but they spend what like a third half that film establishing that the two of them actually like each other so when you know she throws herself on top of him after Gaston's fallen off the tower and says she loves him you believe it you don't need to be convinced because you've seen it grow and in this one it was like they were like we're gonna write a love story except we're gonna skip the love story part Editor Jasmine here, it occurred to me just now, and I really wish I had thought of this during the recording, if there's any Beauty and the Beast pairing that deserves the barely even friends, then somebody bends unexpectedly title, it is definitely this version of Beauty and the Beast. Like, yeah, no, it kind of is expected that you might like each other a bit more after you save each other from a wolf attack. Hot take. It doesn't focus on the romance very much. I will give you that. And I just think that's because the writers and director are, they seem more interested in the Beast's backstory as well as Belle's relationship with her family. And because of that, the romance part does take sort of a backseat or or at the very least, it's kind of... It feels uh, like it's mostly there just because they feel like they have to because it's a Beauty and the Beast story. Which my argument would be then, then why are you doing doing a Beauty and the Beast story. You know what I mean? That's true, because I feel like you could do... Like, it doesn't have to be Beauty and the Beast specifically. You could tell a story about a common girl being kidnapped, a beast, and have all of the sort of elements that are in the story without it having to be Beauty and the Beast specifically. I do think that because everyone knows the story of Beauty and the Beast so well that the director had to think of a way to make this story feel more more surprising, right? Because I sort of think back to in the Batman, Matt Reeves said that he wanted mm-hmm. to skip over the part about Bruce's parents being killed outside of the opera house because we've seen that so many times that it seems unnecessary to show that to the audience because the audience already knows that that's what happens. Although it's not a complete one-to-one comparison, I do think that Christoph Gans saw that, okay, 
okay, the audience pretty much knows the story of Beauty and the Beast, so what can we put in that we can focus on that can be surprising, that can be unique, rather than having to waste time kind of going through the motions of the typical Beauty and the Beast story? At least that's what I'm thinking that the director thought. I, that's just speculation, but that's just... Of course. <laughs> it is very lore-heavy. It's more of a lore, high fantasy story than an actual Yeah, romance. with yeah, no romance. What baffles me is so that they weird. went with making up their, some of their own lore rather than like, go with some of the batshit lore that the original Beauty and the Beast does have. You want to talk about borrowing from artists? All of the thoughts I've ever had in my entire life I have stolen from other people. I'm gonna borrow an observation that Dan Olsen made about the Fifty Shades movies, which is the directors didn't think to consider Belle's agency because they know she will eventually be okay with it. Like, she has to be okay with it for the plot to move forward. Yeah. And because they don't have that consideration in place, it leaves us, the audience, going like, hang on, hang on a minute, we're calling foul. And because the actors, like, the directors and the scriptwriters failed to capitalize on whatever chemistry Vincent Cassell and Leo Seydoux may have, you don't get any of the fun of, like, the quote-unquote, like, e-harmony effect of, like, personal compatibility that you get in modern rom-coms where you get to watch them fall in love and it's entertaining to watch two hot people, you know, spar and banter and fall in love. Which is borrowed observation number two from Seven Brothers, Seven Brothers versus Overboard from Cold Crash Pictures. Which you should watch because it's great. It's not like the other romantic couple in this movie has any real chemistry either. Oh no, they're also hell, but you're exposed to think they're hellish? So uh, you kind of give them a quiet slide? Uh, yeah, we haven't it's... really even gotten into some of the other plot lines just because... There's so many of them! This yes. climax is 30 minutes <laughs> and so many things that just happen at random and you're just like okay i guess i'm gonna like roll with this it's so obviously we got the beauty and the beast plot line that kind of became rather anemic in the service of the other plot lines we've got kind of the bell kind of solving the mystery of what the beast's deal is but not really and we've got the whole thing with maxim and again the victor hugo knockoffs because apparently he owes them some money and that ends up connecting it. But yeah, our main villain is not really, does not have anything to do with the beauty or the beast, really. As, again, Sam, I keep on quoting your video. I'm sorry. <laughs> I showed it to you last night. Of course it's in your mind. Yeah, fair but enough. I would also like to point out, it, this is kind of funny to me because for those who do not know, I do practice tarot occasionally in my spare time. And so Astrid is full of bullshit on her tarot reading, but I don't think the prop department was. Because, well, first of all, Astrid is not using the typical deck that people would recognize, the Rider weight deck. She is using a more archaic Cord de Gabon deck. So she draws the Bataleur, which people would know as the Magician. She draws the Moon, which she specifically says is a torrent of gold under an emerald moon predicting fortune for Perdikos. And then she draws the card Prudence in reverse. And that card would eventually become the Hanged Man. But as I was looking it up, double-checking, cross-referencing my meanings, that reading, if you were actually, like, semi-good at reading tarot, would basically mean you can get what you want with the right resources, but things aren't always what they seem, so make sure to do a vibe check and look at your life, look at your choices. All of those cards are basically giving Perdikos all these warnings like hey, maybe don't take the treasure at face value and consider what might actually be going on with this monster that comes with the treasure. Basically somebody on the prop team knew tarot but Astrid the character does not. 
I would argue, actually, that Astrid is fudging her reading because as she's doing the reading properly, or she starts to do the reading properly, and then he forces her to give a bad read, which, you know, and like based on her vibe checks for the rest of the fucking movie and also her cursing him at the end. Hey, guys, I think Astrid's actually magic. No, I agree because... You know, there is that literally where he's like, I want to hear good news. And so it's entirely possible that to give the credit, the movie may be slightly more credit than it deserves. That the reason why the cards are correct for a negative reading, but she gives him a positive one, was actually on purpose, maybe. Though it would be kind of a deep cut. Man, Um, this movie's full of toxic relationships. (laughs) Oh, boy. Julius Caesar, where the guy, like, takes the prophecy, do not go to the Senate, as actually go to the Senate. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Rule zero, you cannot outrun a prophecy. Yep. That is a phenomenal fairy tale karmic ending, though. Horrifying, gorgeous, love it. Yeah. That is the one fairy tale imagery that actually works in this movie. And man, do I now want to know what the fuck Astrid is? And, well, you know, the yeah, frustrating thing is, Astrid all of these, like. Coming this fall. don't speak it into the universe (laughs) and yet he did you know what bothers me is that all these plot lines on paper i have no problem with actually the problem is like you're trying to stuff this into like a barely more than hour and a half movie and nothing really ever gets resolved and yet it feels so long it's so it did feel long going back to the disney version it feels like they knew they couldn't escape the disney version and so cut out everything yeah. that might possibly compare them to the Disney version. I agree, Jazz, that the like, plot lines work on paper, but they did the balance wrong, I think. Mm-hmm. We and are watching know- Beauty and the Beast Origins. <laughs> it's the prequel with its with all of the, you know, it establishes all of the fairies. Oh no, it's worse than that. This oh. is French Once Upon a Time. Oh god. <laughs> Don't speak that into the universe! <laughs> the looming specter continues. I want that, though. I want an it... actual, like, French TV miniseries. Like, Il est une fois. An actual full multiverse of actual, like, fucking Charles Perrault <laughs> ratings. The looming specter continues to haunt us. The idea of Ooh. there being, like, a mystery aspect to a Beauty and the Beast story? That fucking owns! Because, I mean, there's already kind of a gothic vibe to the whole thing, so why not lean into it and actually have it help her get to know him? And, I mean, they kind of do here, but not really. One of the plot lines that I'm like, the hell about is I understand, you know, okay, so the arrow is in the statue of the dead wife and, you know, that's god magic shit, whatever the fuck. (laughs) What I don't understand is is why they had Astrid go into the rose structure, take the arrow, encouraged by the magic. It's whispering to her to take the arrow. Then she gives it to her boyfriend, and then she gives it to him. So it's then, you know, brought back into Chekhov's whatever, stab the beast with it. And it's like, obviously the answer is because this is how they wanted the plot to happen. But like, why bring it back in as a plot element? It served its visual purpose and it was it just felt like unnecessary and there were lots of things that were like why is this happening my lukewarm defense is a astrid is very clearly magic and we will never get an explanation as to why but i don't think the magic thought that she was going to give the air to her boyfriend but in doing so that sets up the strain of dominoes that is the first thing bell has to yank from his chest to bring him back to being human so it is a reversal of what got him into this mess okay yeah, i mean okay 
Astrid was like, hey, let's take this really cool golden arrow, let's get the fuck out of here. And Perdikas was like, no, I want to get more money, I want to get everything I want, and blah blah blah. Um, I'm so frustrated, because I was really looking forward to watching this, finally. I don't think this movie leaned hard enough into the gothic elements at the end of no. the day. It could have oh, gotten more gothic. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever is at Pathé, please reuse the CGI assets in the castle from this to make like a really good Sleeping Beauty movie or something. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. But like, you know what the beagle puppies are? Uh oh. The weird monkey puppies are the attempts at the talking furniture from the Disney movie. Oh, oh yeah, they're probably are. right. Obviously, but. <laughs> So, so here's something interesting. So in the behind-the-scenes interview with Christoph Gans, he mentions that he wanted to make a film for all ages, and so that this movie could be enjoyed by children as much as adults, or at least in different ways as children and as adults. And he sort of talks about how he watched the Cocteau version when he was five or six, and he appreciates it in a totally different way now as an adult. I do wonder if those were just kind of put in as something for the kids to be like, hey, here's a cute little animal. <laughs> I really you do know, wonder here, how successful that was. <laughs> here's your cute animal sidekick, you know. You're a princess, yeah. here's your cute animal sidekick. <laughs> Like, they come off more like bad attempts at merchandising for the children. They're supposed to be the talking furniture. What they end up being is the gargoyles from the Hunchback. Oh, God. <laughs> I wish the dogs were in this movie more. We don't find out what happened to the other people in the castle, do we? No. Because we know the beast becomes the beast, and we know the beagles become the puppy monkeys. And I think... I think his hunting buddies are the statues. That's so. Do they become the stone mechs? We have to talk about the stone mechs. Thirty-minute climax, guys, and it's not a very. You can't tell me that wasn't inspired by the 1991 furniture attacking the villagers as they mob the castle. Boy, we shall take giant stone statues of the prince's hunting party, and they shall crush the invaders like little ants. And they all die! Because they Uh, fall apart. They wanted to make a Lord of the Rings. We're really underselling the fact that this is technically a two-stage climax, because that's stage one, is getting everybody killed and out of the way. Stage two is running up into the castle while the castle is actively fighting you, while we try to get into Chekhov's water pool. I mean, you know, thinking about the Disney animated version for a second, that climax went on pretty long. I mean, you have the whole, like, Gaston marching with the town to to Beast's castle, and then, like, the whole fight, and the fight between uh, Gaston and the Beast, and then you have the, you know, you have the the, um, the, the last rose petal falling, and the rain, mm-hmm. and all that, and that's, I don't know how long that takes, but it's, it's definitely a good chunk of the movie. That's um, fair, but definitely not so 30 minutes of a 90-minute movie, but you are well, right, case, but yeah. I feel like Obviously, nostalgia is going to have a factor in why I feel like that works better. But also, I feel like it just did a better job making you care about all these characters. The world's worst reversing of the tape as oh, he God, yeah. gets the arrow pulled out of him and gets revived. Cocteau yeah. did that shit better. Correct! And they he was working in the 40s. Cocteau did it. And no. That doesn't make it any better. Apparently, it's hard to pull off. Go figure. I think it's because they did it with such a small amount of water. Like, Cocteau, you actually, like, I think you get a full pool. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a full like splash as a Yeah. Yeah, there's a full shot and I think Testament of Orpheus of a guy like falling into water and then having it play backwards, so you get a full splash as like it undoes and comes Ooh. out of the water. It's yeah. it's like full yeah. dramatic. Yeah. That know? shit's cool. Yeah. Here we're trying to get him into half a clamshell. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get him like, into a it's the difference between like a good solid like four foot pool and a puddle. <laughs> we're just throwing so the beast mean. into the pool at Dashcon. <laughs> Are you saying the beast got an extra hour in the ball pit? <laughs> I said in my original video that it did well in France, but that's not actually true. It it had mixed reviews. Yeah, I saw that. And then as it went international, people were like, "This is shit." Did like even like, the people who praised Leah Sadu were like, "This role doesn't give her much to do other than look pretty and heave her breasts." <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's accurate. The was French this directors film? will just go, eh, put her in a corset. We got a movie. Uh, yeah, I, was, I mean there was the I, famous I, awful Jean Godard quote: "All you need to make a movie is a girl and a gun." Oh, yeah. Right. But yeah, French. That's how the French do. It was partially written by its director. Uh, uh, so and it was, but the other sense. writer was a woman. Which the other writer was a woman. Um, but she Doesn't seems to be. What did he do to stop her? <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly. I'm sure he had the final not. cut. Yeah, Linda Wolverton. She is not clearly. This movie blows. I'm and so glad I never have. Cottagecore ever after, folks. And they live cottagecore ever after. <laughs> yeah, what the hell is that? Qu'est-ce que c'est cottagecore? At least they kept the dogs. <laughs> That scene where she's All in the pink dress. All good movies have one thing in common: it's that dogs are in them, <laughs> and they don't die. Yes. Yes. At least the dogs did not die. I was I was happy about that. And credit where credits due with that flashback scene: the part where the blood becomes the roses. That kind of slapped. I That's because you can't go wrong with blood roses. Yeah, <sighs> blood, blood roses are are, are awesome. Insert Tori and... Amos song. <sighs> Blood roses, blood roses, back on the street now. Blood roses, blood roses, back on the street now. Can't forget the things you never said on days like these. Starts me thinking. I do like the idea of Beauty and the Beast stories where it's like, fuck being a prince, let's go live a simple life together. Yeah. Because that way we also don't have to worry about the French Revolution in some time. <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be post-Napoleonic Wars, but, you know. Still. It's always those goddamn French revolutionaries. <laughs> At the end, we're sort of left guessing whether the story of the Beauty and the Beast actually happened. Mm-hmm. And for me, I want to interpret it as, yes, it happened. I want to believe that the Beast, you know, had this arc where he went from asshole to... Loving and, husband you know, and father. I, yeah. And I don't like, you know, oh, it was all a dream sort of endings, of course. So so I want to believe that it actually happened. Although you could make the argument easily that it was just sort of Leia Seydoux telling the story to her children and none of it really happened. And that it was just sort of made up. Although, what's you know, it's interesting and... Mm-hmm. 
I didn't really catch this until now, but when she's telling the story to her children, she didn't say, I went to the castle or my father did this. She said, you know, this is the story of Belle and mm -hmm. the merchant and the beast and the prince and her brothers and sisters, etc., etc. So, yeah, that's another argument you can use to interpret the ending as being it was all... You could definitely see it as just her... The kids aren't old enough to know that th this is how Papa and I met, but yeah. you could also interpret this as this is just what was going on inside the kids' heads as they heard the story because when kids come from a loving home that is something that does happen I think with when they hear these stories they think of mommy and daddy. Yeah, that's true. You know, when it comes to retellings or remakes I'm always interested in I don't want the same old same old that's Yeah, no, absolutely you know, we, not. We've seen in the past and and so for me watching this I was pleasantly surprised mm -hmm. and entertained by all of the kind of new unique and creative elements mm -hmm. I think you have to go back to that original introduction from the Cocteau version where he says something along the lines of watch this movie as if you are a child and don't think too hard about it and just sort of enjoy the magic and I, I think that's how I went into this film was with the mind of a child and just wanting to enjoy a magical experience about you know magic and beast and cursed and princesses and evil guys and his psychic wife with the tarot cards. Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. I was entertained. I was... You know, the child logic of it all. You know, yeah. I feel like if you do read it as this is just how the kids are imagining the story as told by their mom, it almost does kind of smooth out the edges that bothered me about the story. Not enough for me to like it, but enough that I can at least forgive a lot more. You ever try to read a story that a kid wrote? Don't get me wrong, as someone who used to be in education, they were often really entertaining, but they often didn't make very much sense as well. I can maybe rock with that reading. Yeah, so, yeah, they lived Cottage Corley ever after. Um, do we have any new thoughts on why this story endures? I guess I don't know. Just reiterate: monster fucker is gonna monster fucker, and people There's gonna a... try to coattail. I think that Disney's got a, a real hand yeah. in that, including their attempts for better or for worse. The live-action Disney Beauty and the Beast, the way that the story has been changing to emphasize the love story mm -hmm. in most versions, so they didn't in this one, and to give. Bell some character and agency and shit, I think kind of breathed more life into mm -hmm. this story because especially like the timing of when the Disney animated one came out and like, you know, what feminism was up to at that time, historically speaking, like leaving the whole Beauty and the Beast is not about Stockholm Syndrome because Stockholm Syndrome isn't real. It's men pathologizing women's emotions. We'll put that over there. And the idea that it's actually having the story like show that it's about personal growth and change makes it last longer as opposed to the all the additional work that gets done to make a lot of the other classic fairy tales more palatable to uh, modern sensibilities and you can kind of see how that's changed in media which like hey that's what we're doing the straights need a socially acceptable monster fucking story yeah <laughs> because you know the queer version of this is the shrek ending where she stays a monster yeah and 
In fact, there is never a promise of transformation. It is just loving the monster as he is or as they are. And the straights need a way to pretend that. I don't know. Gabriel love the Disney version, guys. <laughs> I think the cishets need to acknowledge that they are some of the monster fuckers as well. So he's and a bit of a fixer-upper. They need it's... better romance tropes also. Correct. Plus the, the, so he's a bit of a fixer-upper and the inherent teenage need to say I can fix him and then realizing that that is not a great instinct, but it is never an instinct you're going to drop. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Quick, if everyone had a gun put to their head and had to make a monster fucking Beauty and the Beast, what's their monster of choice? <laughs> I mean, there's so many options. Fanfic writer, I beg the fifth. I... <laughs> 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 you know what? Excuse me, because I'm already writing one, so shh. Very um, fair. I'd say go with, like, a dragon type. There's a webcomic I really like called Forever After, where the beast did have, like, a dragon edge to him, but also there was this elder. It's a really good webcomic. I recommend it. Okay, you know what? Okay, I'm going to the- bring back a bit from the Blur episode of Sam's podcast. Angler fish mm. mermaid. Ooh, interesting. Lobfish. I want to see someone pull it off. I want... I'm but setting at- a high bar. I'm like setting a high bar. I'm... At sea level or underwater? I say both, because that actually works out. That works with the whole message of don't judge my appearances. Fuckable blobfish having me voiced by Richard Kind. Make that move. (laughs) I am Davis. (laughs) Guest star's name is Richard Kind. Did did, did this accidentally become an Inari Tellings episode as well? Just a little bit. I mean, I'm actually going to do a full-on monster fucker version of Inari Tellings. Correct. (laughs) I'm biased. I say demons. (laughs) Fair enough. Editor Jasmine here. Okay, full disclosure, Brian actually left a lot sooner than we anticipated. Most of what you've heard after about the 30-minute mark from him was from a separate conversation that we ended up having, just so I could make sure we got as many of his thoughts as we could. But he decided to let me know that while he's not sure what kind of monster he'd like to see more Beauty and the Beast adaptations about, he did say he would like to see one where the woman is the beast. And I have to agree, we should have more monstrous women. Why should the guys be the only ones that get to have somebody love them as they are, you know? And this, of course, has nothing to do with the fact that I even said in the previous episode how I felt unlovable because I grew up unconventionally attractive. Absolutely not. Kyle? Except that flower room was real I don't know. Anyway. Flowers, chocolates, promise you don't intend to keep. Um, I, <laughs> I remember when I did the crossover with Tony Goldmark years ago, I remember like pointing to this film as the silver lining, as the light at the end of the tunnel, as that the sign that Disney was not the be-all and end-all of like cultural myth-making, and that mm-hmm. stories are common and public domain, and that we can use them, and I'm glad that the film exists. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> I say that a lot about a lot of movies. I mean, cool. Yep. Eh, well, good. Good for you. That let's, is a feeling I know well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's adapt more fairy tales than Beauty and the Beast. I mean, that's it, but... Let's make new cliches. That's also fair, but yeah, I, I mentioned it in the previous episode, this story does mean a whole a great deal to me, and I think that is what makes this movie hurt the most. <laughs> yeah. It's like, God damn it. Make me believe that someone can become better through someone else's kindness. Damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway. Have you considered fairies and lore, though? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> There's room for all of that, if you ask me. Jazz, I'll say it again. Ivan Savage and the Grey Wolf, just a fairy tale with a prince and a very good boy. That is true. Adapt some Russian fairy tales. They're fucked up, but they're that like the classic Western and Eastern European fairy tales aren't fucked up. I mean, fucking they this are fucked one, up. We fucking, know how fucked up they are because there's something about this story that is compelling. But we want to tell it, and we want to tell it our way. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. I think that this film is falls into that, and it just maybe yeah. isn't as successful if that's what we, they were trying to accomplish. But you we know, we want to tell the story over and over and over again. But we also need to sometimes say fuck the mouse. <laughs> Yeah, yes. well. That's the thing about the public domain. It's that everyone can access it, including major corporations. And so this kind of, like, ridding the public domain for stories, everyone can do it, true. But it's also, that is how world building happened. It's how Disney built their brand. It's how Marvel built their brand, too. Yeah. Uh, like, it's how Shakespeare when, built his brand. It's how Shakespeare, it's how everyone does, because these are common stories that everyone can work with. Everyone can pull from the public domain. Yeah. And that's great. And that means everyone can tell these stories again and again. But it's telling which stories we choose to pick from yeah. public domain and retell yeah. them over and over again. Which I believe ties back into the theme of this podcast. It does indeed. Um, Thank you, Kyle. So, yeah. But yeah, you're right. We should absolutely try to do other things. But also, sometimes the ones with plot structures are a lot easier to do than the ones that don't have any. Who's got stuff to plug? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm the artistic director of Worlds Elsewhere Theater Company, and we've got two projects coming up. Information about that will be going up soon on our socials, so yay, keep an eye out for that. I am involved in both of those Worlds Elsewhere projects, and I'll also plug the sibling podcast, Six Degrees of Star Wars, where we explore all the ways that George Lucas's flagship franchise surrounds us, binds us, and penetrates us in the landscape of cinema. But I'm also going to check on Ayer after this, because that droid's been working hard. The best destroyed. You can find me on Twitter, at DreamsRebel. It is fully hockey season, y'all. I am still insufferable. You can also find me on WordPress at FilmLion, all one word, dot wordpress.com, uh, where I have taken my unofficial moniker of professional opinion haver and created a website where I can yell about television and not torture all of my friends with several hour-long PowerPoint presentations with occasional conspiracy boards. <laughs> You can find me at Kyle Calgren BHH on YouTube, where I have about a decade's worth of video essays backed up, including, oh god, I just realized, the video that I did with Tony Goldbart about Joan Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast is now ten years old. Yes, it is! It will be ten years old this summer. So, you can oh, see all of the work that I have birthday. done. Happy birthday! Yeah. <laughs> you can see all the work that I have done on the YouTube channel, and I also have a video essay in the works coming up about what it means to live through the apocalypse and what we can do with pop culture in spite of that. It's also about The Simpsons. <laughs> of course. Of course it is. Follow me on B. Harris Film on Instagram. As for me, as always, you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Faye Riviera. And you can also follow this show on Twitter at IER Podcast. Please also consider supporting this show either financially through our Patreon, Ko-Fi, or the support the show link in the show notes. Or simply spread the word about the podcast and leave us reviews and ratings to help us reach the next chapter of our story. And speaking of, in honor of the upcoming Fathom event, we are going to be covering the cult classic starring David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly, A Labyrinth. And if you're wondering what that's an adaptation of, the better question is what hasn't influenced this movie. Thank you for listening. And to paraphrase the video that helped inspire this episode, stories gain power in each retelling. The queen and the fairy, her sister, were equally attentive to beauty, 
her husband, the queen, his mother, the old man, and all his family, so that there never was known people who lived so long. The queen, mother of the prince, caused this marvelous history to be recorded in the archives of her kingdom and in those of the happy island, that it might be handed down to posterity. They also decimated copies of it throughout the universe, so that the world at large might never cease to talk of the wonderful adventures of Beauty and the Beast.